It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you, or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You all right? <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Cindy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. The wild winter weather this week has been called historic and unprecedented. But someday, we may just call this normal. And obviously, we want to prevent this from becoming the new normal to the degree that we can. Some people get hung up on the term global warming and say, well, I thought everything's supposed to get warmer. I heard one scientist say this is really global weirding. Is that a better way to think of this? I think it's a very appropriate way to think of it. It is directly related to the warming, even though your instinct is to say, wait a minute, this is the new ice age, but it's not. It is coming from the global warming and it threatens all the normal weather patterns. The planet is warming in large part because of the greenhouse gas emissions we pump into the sky from our power plants, our cars, trains and planes, and even from raising and growing our food. That warming makes storms stronger, droughts drier, and oceans higher. That means certain places on Earth where people live will become unlivable. How much time do we still have left to avert climate catastrophe. Well, the scientists told us three years ago we had 12 years to avert the worst consequences of climate crisis. We are now three years gone, so we have nine years left. And that's where Paris comes in, the climate accord named after the city of lights where it was agreed to back in 2015. But the pledges from nearly every country on Earth to cut their planet warming emissions will no longer cut it. How much more aggressive do we now need to be to really solve this problem? Uh, even if we did everything that we said we were going to do when we signed up in Paris, we would see a rise in the Earth's temperature to somewhere around 3.7 degrees or more, which is catastrophic. Okay, that's John Kerry, who is the what presidential U.S. presidential envoy for climate. That's his new uh, title. He was Secretary of State under Barack Obama. He, he, um, he loves to talk about climate. That's his main thing. He was very connected in Paris, uh, was thrilled when we signed the climate agreement under Barack Obama, and very uh, agitated when we unsigned it under Donald Trump. Now, why am I starting with that? I'm starting with that to point something out that I think is really important. Many of you believe, as I do, that the COVID uh, information we've been given by the World Health Organization and the CDC and others has been nothing more than blarney, very dangerous blarney. Uh, not to say that there's no COVID, not to say that people haven't died from it, but the numbers are incredibly exaggerated. Deaths attributed to COVID that are from gunshot wounds, accidents on ladders, uh, scaring people to death making them feel if they don't wear a mask and stay in their house for months on end, weeks on end, they're going to die. Uh, that's what we've been experiencing. 
And I just want to put this in context for you because the left has been doing this for a very long time. I remember, and I've said this before, but will repeat, that when I've traveled in some of the remote places in the earth, like a lot in Asia, Thailand, I remember in my hotel room in in a remote area, not Bangkok, out in the jungles in Thailand, uh, in China, other places, uh, I I would watch CNN International. Do you know what CNN International used to talk about? It's not like CNN at home. Well, (laughs) CNN at home has turned into something different too. But CNN International is one long drone about all the disasters that are coming to the earth, whether it's crop rotation, it's chemicals used, it's, uh, they were talking about the earth, you know, a long time ago. It's just, and it's drone, it's what we are experiencing now, but it was international and they were obsessed with it, obsessed with disaster coming to the earth through man-made causes and reasons and who knows why. It's like they, if you ever have a relative that likes to, you know, talk about death and dying and the details of disease, kind of like the network for that. But this is not innocent. Uh, they, they are trying to use, we've seen it, have we not seen with COVID, those of us that have eyes to see, that they have used this very deadly disease for some people uh, to control the whole planet, really, the whole planet. There's very few exceptions. This is great for totalitarians. They are salivating. And I've said before, I don't know if I've said this to you on this mic, but this is how I see this, that uh, COVID has allowed them, meaning the left, the totalitarian would-bes, and they are totalitarians, to control, uh, let's talk about America for a second. It's been very successful. People are still scared to death. Uh, They even don't even seem to comprehend that even if they get a vaccine, that nothing has changed. They still have to social distance, wear their masks. Nothing has changed. That's what, that's what uh, Jen Psaki has told us. That's what Joe Biden has told us. The CDC, uh, Dr. Fauci, you know, the, the, the god of COVID, has also said that to us. But people just, they seem to be thinking if they could just get that vaccine, they'll get their lives back. But it's not true. There's all this delusion and confusion. It's a very handy tool to manage people's lives. And so... What I suspect they're going to do, and I think that Kerry sort of dropped a hint then, um, and actually is that they're going to morph if they can, if they can. They're going to ease up on COVID in time, but not very soon. Not very soon, I might add. They're, they're saying you're going to have to wear a mask, oh, you know, and social distance up until next December, I think it is now. So, but of course the bar keeps moving and if they don't have some other way of controlling us by then, they'll have to think of something else. And I think that something else is the re-emergence of the, the, uh, the lies and the frightening tactics to scare all of us about the possibility of the earth ending in nine years. That's what Carrie just told us. We've only got nine years to stop this. And if you don't believe me, I found it was, this is what I had suspected because, because they've been around a while, but Bill Gates, who's right in there, you know, he is like right in there with John Kerry and Dr. Fauci. They're the, you know, the, the overlords, the billionaire overlords of the world, uh, actually said something similar. And so I want you to hear it out of his mouth, uh, Bill Gates. Let's listen. Clip seven. In the case of the pandemic, the good news is is that a single miraculous tool, the vaccine, 
uh, once we make billions of them uh, for the entire world, will largely end this crisis. So the two issues are very similar in that governments, uh, in a collaborative way, need to come up with a solution. Uh, but climate change will kill five times as many people per year uh, as the peak of the pandemic uh, by the end of the century, and it, it will be accelerating and without a a simple tool to stop that right away. Yeah, so that a couple of things, I, a couple, a couple, of, maybe three things. First of all, that singular miraculous tool he's talking about, that vaccine is the thing that, isn't it interesting, Bill Gates is the one invested in that. Bill Gates is the one who will do really well if billions of you get that vaccine. He has no motive other though than to save your life. Don't forget uh, also, Bill Gates is right there with John Kerry on, you know, saving the planet by stopping you from flying, driving cars, using fossil fuels. And Bill Gates is actually trying to get you to eat, stop eating meat. You need to eat artificial meat, not real meat. They have plans for us, you see. Uh, but the irony is Bill Gates flies all over the universe. He's been actually confronted about it. But his defense is, oh, I know I fly, but, but I, I have carbon offsets. He does so many good things, you see, that he won't be like you. Uh, he will still be able to fly and have cars and, uh, you know, be driven around that because he's doing, you know, God's work, you know, trying to get you to stop doing that. John Kerry's the same way. So I'm just telling you, I'm planting the seed right now that this whole business of global warming and uh, climate change, they keep morphing the, you know, the titles. They always think of great names, you know, to deceive you further. They're going to morph it into climate change. This is the thing. They're going to turn the burner up with your children, uh, with us, with the news. Just watch for that to happen. Uh, so Joe Biden then had an announcement. Our president, our president, or our, our um, uh, yeah, our heir apparent. Uh, he's not an heir anymore. He, he, he inherited the throne. He stole the throne, actually, uh, is a clip aid, and he tells us uh, gladly and proudly about what he's doing about the Paris Climate Accord, which John Kerry was so passionate about and so eager to please his French compatriots. But Joe Biden said this, clip eight. This is a global existential crisis. And we'll all suffer. We'll all suffer the consequences if we fail. We have to rapidly accelerate our commitments to aggressively curb our emissions and to hold one another accountable for meeting our goals and increasing our ambitions. That's why, as president, I immediately rejoined the Paris Agreement. And as of today, the United States is officially, once again, a party to the Paris Agreement, which we helped put together. On Earth Day, I will host a Leaders' Summit to help drive a more ambitious actions among the top emitters, including domestic climate action here in the United States. I am grateful. I'm grateful for Europe's continued leadership on climate issues over the last four years. Together, we need to invest in the technological innovations that are going to power our clean energy futures and enable us to build a clean energy solutions to global markets. He, he read that very well, I think. Uh, yeah, so a climate change. This is our new, what did he call that? Our domestic, uh, our domestic crisis, something like that. Um, so... This is the new thing to scare you. They're just introducing it again to make sure that you begin to get scared. And I, the Paris Climate Accord, 
of course, probably, you know, it's so other, it's so elsewhere, over there, that it doesn't make sense to you. But what it means is the United States will agree, has agreed to reduce our carbon footprint by a certain date. That means what? Well, this is what it means, because now you can actually see it. Uh, In the last, what, six weeks of Joe Biden's presidency, Texans, many of them have died, frozen, uh, because, uh, let's see, they were using the kind of energy that President Biden and John Kerry and Bill Gates are in love with and preach. Uh, And something happened with this cold weather that it didn't work. Uh, The... The windmills froze. And now the second part of this is not just that they it's enough that they're freezing and cold. By the way, most Texas homes have power back now. But it was a miserable few weeks, miserable, terrible stories. I know many of you are in Texas, and you could tell us those terrible stories. But the second thing is now Texans are getting hit with these massive electric bills. One person... Um, got a customer, he's a residential customer, he got a bill for $17,000. And he said the month before that he paid six hundred and sixty. And we have private homes, like this one guy is talking about his daughter uh, and her roommate uh, were paying $50 a month for their uh, electric bill, and they, pay, they got billed for $1,900. All right, so remember this, and I wish we had it to play, that Barack Obama told us, that under his plan, which is what Joe Biden's plan is, uh, utility pr- prices will necessarily skyrocket. Listen, this is our future. This is not a game. This is not just a fluke that happened in Texas. This is the reality of what's going to happen under this administration. But just remember that um, President Trump, really, his tweets were terrible. His face was, you know, orange, his hair. Uh, and, and he was just so mean to people, so... But, but with Joe Biden, he's nice. <coughs> but he's, uh, yeah, he's nice. And so I don't know why we're upset about it. By, by the way, people are losing jobs in the oil industry, as you well know. And gasoline, for all of us, gas prices are getting ready to skyrocket. They're already going up just in six weeks. This is the devastation of these kinds of horrendous policies. But they are designed to weaken us and control us. All right, coming up, Congressman Michael Waltz joins me. Great interview. I hope you'll stay tuned. Sadie Rios in the morning, AFR Talk. While in the emergency room with my wife, as she was struggling with the COVID-19 virus herself, and I looked at her, I said, are you scared? And she said, a little bit, but I've been through worse. The Certainty of Mankind's History with Uncertainty, an article by Peter Rosenberger. And then, as her fever was approaching almost 103, she started singing in Christ alone. I place my trust and find my glory in the power of the cross. And that's how she has anchored herself in the certainty of Christ through her huge medical journey that has included 80 surgeries, both of her legs amputated, 100 doctors have treated her, 12 hospitals, and now the COVID-19 virus. And so when we live with those kinds of uncertainties, anchoring ourselves in Christ, in Christ alone, that's the only place we can run to where there is certainty. To read this article and more, visit afa.net forward slash the stand. 
Every choice you make, you want it to be the wise one. And if you haven't joined MediShare yet, you may want to look into it right now. It may be exactly the wise choice for you and your family. You can save a lot on your health care without sacrificing quality. MediShare gives you free telehealth, a huge network of doctors, all of that. But the typical family saves $500 a month, month after month. And that makes sense for a lot of people, more than 400000 so far. And you get the security of knowing this has been working great for over 25 years. So MediShare is different. It's a good different. It's really about sharing. Members even pray for each other, which is very refreshing, especially right now. And one more very good thing. If you join before the end of February, they'll waive your new member fee. That's another $170 you'll save before you start saving month after month. Here's the number. Call 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes with news and commentary next. At Liberty University, we believe in honoring service. That's why we offer first responder and military communities deep discounts on all of our 450-plus online programs. Military students, veterans, and spouses pay just $250 per credit hour for undergraduate and $275 to $300 per credit hour for graduate and Ph.D. courses. First responders receive a 25% tuition discount, and those who qualify may be able to use both discounts for even greater savings. It's our way to say thank you for all you do. To learn more, text AGREE to 49595. The people for the ethical treatment of animals are very upset with all of you humans accusing you of speciesism. PETA says humans need to stop using supremacist language when insulting other humans. They say calling someone an animal and meaning it as an insult reinforces the idea that humans are superior to other animals, which we are. Instead of calling someone a chicken, for example, PETA wants you to use the word coward. Instead of a snake, say jerk. You can't call anybody a rat anymore. You have to call them a snitch. And all of you Elvis impersonators, well, you probably ought to steer clear of you ain't nothing but a hound dog might trigger the people-eating tasty animals crowd. Last year, PETA caused a national uproar when they said we should stop referring to cats and dogs as our pets. They said it was an insult to Fluffy and Spot. You know, it sounds like the folks in charge of PETA are bird-brained. I'm Todd Stearns. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Hi, Todd. Hi, Jillian. Yes, we are indeed seeing some Beijing blowback to the global fight back against the China Games right now. It's just a year to go until the start of the Winter Olympics, this time being held in and around the Chinese capital of Beijing. The demands by human rights groups, politicians, and officials to move the event are getting louder. This in protest of various abuses and grievances like the treatment by Beijing of the Muslim Uyghur minority in northwestern China, including a resolution, by the way, against the participation in the event introduced in Congress by a group of Republican senators led by Rick Scott of Florida. Now, while the Biden administration has said it is disturbed by the charges against China, it also says, right now at least, it has no intention of yanking out of next year's Olympics, which sounds okay with Beijing. State-backed media is now tweeting, here's a quote, boycotting 2022 Beijing Winter Games, an unpopular idea, won't receive widespread support. International Olympic Committee and athletes will both oppose it, and China will seriously sanction any country 
that follows such a call. In fact, guys, back in 1980, we were not too pleased with the then-Soviet invasion of Afghanistan. We sat out the 1980 Olympic Games in Moscow. In 1984 in Los Angeles, the Russians returned the favor. Be careful what you wish for. All right, that's the uh, that's Greg Palcott from Fox in the, this new world of Zoom television uh, with the bad sound, but you get the, the, <laughs> the gist of it. We've watched the Olympics through the years. Many of us have seen all kinds of things happen. We saw athletes, you know, for the first time in the 70s uh, do the black power sign. We, we read back, you know, I was in Berlin, Germany. And so um, we know that, of course, the uh, German Nazi Olympics were very controversial. And so they always are. This is a worldwide event. Uh, it is celebrated by the world's best athletes. They train. They train. It is their lives. Countries get a lot of pride out of the Olympics. It is a, even though you're not an athlete, many of you, and it's hard to understand what it means to people who are. It is a, it is the jewel crown of um, performing if you're a, a world class athlete. So when you cancel it, it's a very big deal. Well, it's not just the senators who are talking about uh, canceling or withdrawing from the Beijing 2020. 2022 Winter Olympics. It's also members of Congress. And Congressman Michael Waltz from the 6th District in Florida joins me this morning because he's leading the charge. Uh, Congressman Waltz, thanks for joining us. Yeah, happy to, and and, and thanks so much for covering this. Yeah, so uh, for you, if... uh, You know what? Before I do this, I want to get some background on you. Can we do this? I want to do something personal with you before I find out why this matters to you. Um, I know that you are, uh, your bio is just incredible. You have a military past. You were a, a combat decorated Green Beret, which really caught my eyes. 20 years in the U.S. Army. Uh, you graduated from the Virginia Military Institute. You went to Ranger School. You were in the uh, elite Green Berets, and certainly they are. When I was during Vietnam, there were songs about the Green Berets. Uh, be, uh, Michael, as you well know, you guys are legendary. You spent several combat tours in Afghanistan, the Middle East, and Africa. And uh, I've, One thing that really caught my eye was that you led those teams searching for Private Bo Bergdahl, who was the deserter uh, during the Obama administration, and uh, President Obama right. turned around and hailed him as a hero. What happened to Bergdahl? You know, that's a, that's a great question of where he is today. Uh, although he just launched, which we, I'm sure we could talk about maybe another time, he just launched a lawsuit uh, against the U.S. government, specifically against uh, President Trump and the late John McCain uh, for undue interference in his, in his case. But the bottom line is, I think, really thanks to the outcry from myself uh, and uh, many others who are out in Afghanistan when, uh, when he deserted, uh, he w- eventually was court-martialed. He was reduced in rank to private, you know, stripped of his benefits. However, he was given zero time served. Uh, he walked out of that courtroom a free man, and I'll never forget the image of, uh, of a former sergeant who was shot in the head during his search for him but survived, but was, however, paralyzed and could no longer speak, uh, being wheeled out of the courtroom uh, by his uh, teenage daughter. So he got away, he got off without any, any jail time. The five senior terrorists uh, uh, that were traded by the Obama Biden administration out of Guantanamo for him are back out to their old ways. Uh, and uh, he's 
he's I don't know, you know, smoking pot in California. I have no idea uh, what what he's doing, but it really was a travesty of justice. Yes, and it's something for us to remember. I have to say, uh, it seems like the Obama presidency was kind of a warm up uh, to what we've experienced in the last six weeks of the Biden. Uh, Harris administration, and we can get into that. But let's talk about the Beijing Olympics. This was, you know, cast a long time ago. I mean, these decisions are made, are made years in advance about who's going to have these games. Mm-hmm. Uh, so right. what was what was the catalyst for you about why you think this should not happen this year? Or next well, I've year? Been watching, uh, I've been watching Senator Scott uh, repeatedly request that the International Olympic Committee moved the games uh, out of Beijing, uh, that they rebid the games and, and put them in a different city so that our athletes can compete. And I want to be clear, that is by far, I mean, that is the preferred option. However, now that the IOC has just refused time after time, request after request, uh, the Olympic, you know, I, I think many of us think 2022 sounds far off. It certainly does to me. I can't believe. We're already this far into 2021, but it's only 11, it's only 11 months away. Yes. And uh, enough is enough. You know, look at what uh, Beijing has released onto the world uh, with this virus. Look at the damage it's done uh, to our economy, to our way of life. Two million plus around the world dead. We just hit a milestone in, uh, in the United States of 500,000. They covered it up. They arrested journalists. They disappeared doctors who were trying to sound the alarm. They would not allow the CDC in to, to, to help. Uh, they, As you know, they refused even the WHO, which they bought and paid for, the World Health Organization, finally just let them in a year later and still wouldn't share all of the data. So you have all of that. And then layer on top of that, uh, the genocide. And, and I have to tell you, I've seen uh, both the intelligence and what's being smuggled out, the genocide that's going on in Western China. You know, there are videos coming out now showing the Muslim Uyghurs lined up in rows, blindfolded and on their knees, being loaded onto rail cars where they're shipped off to concentration camps. Does that sound really familiar from the 1930s and 40s? Oh, my, uh, where yes. they've entered into re- re-education, slave labor, forced sterilization of their women, and now the BBC is reporting on a mass rape campaign for which the Chinese Communist Party kicked them out of, uh, of China. And we could go on and on on the, on the Chinese atrocities, but at the end of the day, if the Biden administration, if the IOC were serious about human rights and their own code of ethics and morals, uh, they would move these games. But at this point, I'm calling for a boycott of our athletes because it is only 11 months away, and, uh, you know, again, enough is enough. You know, uh, I was just, Gordon Chang is a friend, and I know you know who he is. He's on often, uh, half Chinese, Mm -hmm. half Scottish, an expert on China. We have these conversations often. And one of the last things we just discussed, Michael, was how it's been, it's interesting to me how China has been made into this warm, fuzzy, you know, this nation of uh, people who are able to manufacture incredible goods that we just love, that we can buy cheaply, just stuff, everything, clothing, right. you know, trinkets and, and intricate stuff, uh, and that we, you know, we came friends to China. I've been there several times, and I love the Chinese people, so I have to put that in context. Right. Uh, but um, um, Gordon was just saying, uh, the truth is, the regime is so brutal. 
They are so brutal. They have not changed. Yeah. We ha- but that side was hidden for such a long time, Michael, while we were doing business and sending our companies over there. And corporations were, you know, relocating their headquarters. Right. We lost sight of who they really are. Or were they nice for a while? No, that's absolutely right. And I want to make the distinction between, as you did, between the amazing and beautiful Chinese culture and people and this authoritarian regime uh, in the Chinese Communist Party that has, has become much, much worse under Chairman Z. And I don't call him President Z. He's the chairman of the Communist Party. I call him Chairman Z. Uh, so they've gone from bad to worse under him, uh, to answer your question. And uh, the Chinese kind of theory, so to speak, is to not be loud and, and thump your chest and look bigger than you are, like the Soviet Union did, their theory is to lay low in the grass, uh, lull your opponent, which is the United States, as they view it, into complacency until you're ready. So one of the things, if you look at their military theory, which you know, we could talk more about, but is to part of their military theory is to wait until the United States is bankrupt, until they fully spring into action uh, and, and dominate the world with the China dream to replace the American dream, which what they mean by that is is Western liberal democracy. Uh, That is in speech after speech from from Chairman Z. And so you're right. They have lulled us into complacency. They're now seeking to dominate economically and technologically, which they're stealing their way to the top before they do so uh, militarily. But back to the Olympics, I just can't imagine playing into that and giving them a, the world stage, a global platform to continue their propaganda of the rise of China is a peaceful and good thing, the soft panda, as you, as you, as you said, um, and to whitewash all of their atrocities, whether it's the coronavirus, whether it's what's going on uh, with the Uyghurs, the stamping out of freedom as we speak in Hong Kong, where people are disappearing in the middle of the night from their homes if they dare speak out. Uh, and the other thing I want to be sure that we talk about is the complicity of American companies, of big tech companies like Nike and Adidas, NBC, which is going to be uh, transmitting the game. We've also asked them to not do so, not to broadcast the game and give them this platform. So, you know, they want to kind of, you know, pound the drum when it comes to social justice, when this you know, when it's a popular thing to do in the United States, but they turn a blind eye as they're literally making billions off the backs of slave labor uh, when it comes to China and then when it comes to these Olympic Games. And it's it's hypocritical, the double standard, and we're going to call it out. Well, I'm grateful for that, but I, I found that China's response, as Greg Palcott, you know, announced in that um, short report, was to threaten the world. You know, we'll come after any country that boycotts and the, the thing that scared me, uh, Michael, is I think they're actually in a position to do that now. It seems that their tentacles right. have reached out so far while we were sleeping and buying their goods that they actually can intimidate the world. No, that's absolutely right, and I'm glad, I'm glad you raised that point where they're threatening to sanction any country. They've already been doing it, not sanctioning over the, uh, over the Olympic boycott, but using that economic leverage in, in line with their authoritarian rule. We all remember you know, the, the poor coach from, from Houston who dared to even tweet, I stand with Hong Kong, uh, and right. immediately they threatened, the Chinese threatened to cut off the NBA, and the NBA is so addicted to that revenue that they almost fired the coach unless he 
uh, unless he deleted the tweet. That is the perfect example of what is to come if China becomes the world leader. You already have Hollywood uh, changing their movies, uh, you know, pulled uh, the, the flag of Taiwan off of the off of the bomber jacket of, uh, of Tom Cruise and the new Top Gun uh, because of Chinese influence. So they will censor the world uh, because they have that economic leverage. And that's why, in addition to this boycott, we have to pull our manufacturing out of there. We have to bring it back to the United States. And what I've told all of these companies is that fine, if it doesn't make sense to bring it back to the United States, although that is the preferred option, then put it in India, put it in Australia, put it in, you know, if you need that cheap labor, then cheaper labor, then put it in Malaysia. There's a lot of other places that aren't looking to, that are, that are real democracies and aren't looking to dominate the United States and replace our leadership with their authoritarian leadership. Two quick questions in the few minutes we have. So sure. they, they're big, big questions, but we don't have much time for the answer. And that is, of course, the uh, U.S. Olympic Committee. I, do you think they're even inclined to, to listen to your resolution? You know, I don't think, I don't know uh, with this current leadership. Um, they are, in, in, in past inter- interactions, they referred back to the, to the 1980 games. They feel like politics should stay out of it. Um, I, I just remind them that this is the atrocities that are going on is a whole different level. The other thing that I want to be everyone to be aware of from a historical perspective is look at what Germany did after the international legitimacy that was yes. conferred on the Nazi regime in 1936. But look what Putin did after the Sochi games. Uh, he invaded uh, Ukraine and Crimea just months after. Uh, the Sochi games uh, in Russia, and look what China did after 2008. You know, there were groups, the Tibetans uh, and others, that were protesting around the world. China made all kinds of human rights promises that they've since broken, and they began their march across the South China Sea after the 2008 games. So I worry about Taiwan and others and what they're going to do after the 22 games. Yes, I mean, and what, history isn't history isn't good. <laughs> n- no, and of course the, the the threat to us is enormous, and we didn't even really get to the direct threat to the United States, and also to this administration's weakness on China, which is so concerning. I know it is to you too, Congressman Michael Waltz. I hope this is the beginning of a nice friendship, and we can talk more often. But thank you for taking the lead on this. It's very important, and I feel my heart goes out to the athletes, and I hope they they can find another location. Uh, And I hope the whole thing is just brought down. It would be a great symbol of resistance. Uh, Congressman Michael Waltz from Florida, thank you, sir. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. In Acts chapter 1-8, when he says we're to be witnesses, he says in Jerusalem. Judea, that was the surrounding area. Samaria? Oh, now we're getting into a cross culture. <laughs> the wrong side of the tracks. Wrong side of the tracks, wrong people, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Exploring missions with Bert Harper. Saturday evenings at 6.30 Central and Sunday afternoons at 1 on American Family Radio. That's what he said. You shall be my witnesses. If you scratch a regressive, what you are going to find underneath the skin is cruelty. Focal Point with Brian Fisher. Regressives are cruel people 
by instinct and by nature. Look at what Joe Biden wants to do to unborn babies. That's intolerable cruelty. Focal Point, the home of muscular Christianity. Weekday afternoons at 1 central on American Family Radio. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Apostle Paul penned his second epistle to Timothy, now an elder in the church at Ephesus, in about 64 or 65 A.D., while imprisoned in Rome, awaiting his imminent execution under Nero. In warning Timothy about the coming perilous times, marked by the increased anti-Christian persecution in the Roman Empire in 64 A.D., Paul directed Timothy to his speech and his feet. In speech, Paul gave Timothy priceless biblical instruction. In feet, Paul left Timothy a legacy of lifestyle. Christ's following demands consistency between speech and feet. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Brian Fisher here with today's Life and Liberty Minute. Peter tells us we are elect exiles. The word elect is from the Greek word which means to choose. Now an exile is somebody who has been rejected and kicked out of his native land. That's us. We are rejected and hated by the world which lies in the grip of the evil one, but chosen, selected, handpicked by God to belong to him. And God chose us not because he had to, not because he couldn't get the cool kids to follow him, not because he had to settle for us, but because he wanted us. Peter tells us it was because of his foreknowledge, which means he knew us. He entered into a relationship with us before we were born and handpicked us to belong to him. In this Christmas season, let's find great security in knowing that we belong to God because he chose us to belong to him forever. Merry Christmas, everyone. Catch Brian Fisher on Focal Point, weekday afternoons at 105 Central on American Family Radio. This is Frank Gaffney with the Secure Freedom Minute. Former Trump strategist Steve Bannon's popular TV program, War Room Pandemic, has an engaging theme song. Its refrain is, let's take down the CCP. The Chinese Communist Party has a variation on that tagline, let's take down the USA. Unfortunately, the CCP's version isn't just a catchy jingle. It's a strategic policy, one that is now well advanced. The Chinese communists say they're in a people's war with us. They're using unrestricted warfare techniques that have already done incalculable damage to our country's economy, public health, culture, and national security. There is, moreover, evidence that the CCP intervened directly in our 2020 election for the purpose of defeating a presidential candidate who recognized and was determined to counter the threat it poses. Now we have an administration populated by old friends of China and pursuing policies that will help take down the USA. This is Frank Gaffney. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. You and the president have suggested that we'll approach normality toward the end of the year. What does normal mean? Do you think Americans will still be wearing masks, for example, in 2022? You know, I think it is possible that that's the case. And again, it really depends on what you mean by normality. If right. Normality that's what I want you to define exactly it. Exactly <laughs> the way it 
<laughs> no, Dana, it's important because if normality means exactly the way things were before we had this happen to us, I, I mean, I can't predict that. I mean, obviously, I think we're going to have a significant degree of normality beyond what the, the terrible burden that all of us have been through over the last year, that as we get into the fall and the winter by the end of the year, I agree with the president completely that we will be approaching a degree of normality. It may or may not be precisely the way it was in November of 2019, but it'll be much, much better than what we're doing right now. You know, I think one of the biggest mistakes President Trump made was that he ever, ever, ever gave Dr. Anthony Fauci any credibility. The more you listen to him, the more foolish he sounds. Uh, I can't predict that. You know, it, it reminds me of Bill Clinton saying, well, it depends on what is is, you know. Uh, it, it just it depends on what that, that, you know, tiny little word means because it could be this, it could be that. Uh, I can't predict. I mean, it, we might be closer to normality. I just can't. I don't know. It could be into 2022, but on the other hand, it might not be. And then, and on and on it goes. It's just ridiculous. And uh, we are just being played, and we were played by him, and we're being played by him now. Many people still uh, look to Dr. Fauci as sort of the definitive expert, and I look to him as the definitive uh, propagandist. I don't know what else to say. He can make, you know, he could say nothing while saying something. And I find it very interesting. Uh, President Biden's COVID advisor was on MSNBC. Now, first of all, let me just say that the question they asked him was amazing to me. I can't even believe they asked this question. So they ask, it's Stephanie Ruland, she says, um, I want to start with what we just saw. Now, I don't know what they just saw. It must have been stats, figures, maps. And she says, contrast states like Florida and California. Well, California is basically in a lockdown, and their numbers aren't that different from Florida. So to reiterate, California has the biggest lockdown in the nation. Uh, it's, I, I cannot believe Californians have uh, just been so timid about that and complied. Of course, they're trying to recall their governor. And they have, I think, the signatures to do that now, close to it. Uh, but it's just amazing to me how they managed to pull that out in Calif- off in California. Meanwhile, Florida is relatively free and open. Now, there are a lot of mask wearers in Florida and there are rules, but there is no government government mandate. And compared to the rest of the country, tremendous freedom, uh, and no no real mandates or fines or horrendous uh, controlling measures to try to control people's behavior. So I want you to hear this exchange because I find it fascinating. Listen to the question, and then the COVID advisor to Biden trying to give an answer. Let's listen. Contrast states like Florida and California, um, California basically in lockdown, and their numbers aren't that different from Florida. Well, good morning, Stephanie. Uh, Look, there's so much of this virus that we think we understand, that we think we can predict, that's just beyond a little bit beyond our explanation. What we do know is that the more careful people are, the more they mask and social distance, and the quicker we vaccinate, the quicker it goes away and the less it spreads. But we have got to get better visibility into variants. We don't know what role they play, um, large events, et cetera. But, uh, you know, this is, a, as we all have learned by this time, this is a virus that continues to surprise us. Um, it's very hard to predict. And, you know, all around the country, we've got to continue to do a better job. And I think 
I think we All are, right. but we're I'm not going to interrupt him. Okay, so here's, a, here's, here's the thing. She just showed him evidence, and he didn't deny it, that with all the the social distancing and mask wearing and lockdowns in California, their COVID numbers and their rate of death is not that different from Florida. In fact, it's it's a, a greater than Florida's. Oh, how how could that be? She says you can hear the anchors. It's like, wait a minute, this is. Well, I don't, I don't understand. Please give me an answer. And his answer is, well, you know, this is, this is hard to, you know, it's a con- confusing virus and there are all these variations and we just can't be sure. But what we do know, he comes back to reiterate, what we have learned by this time is this is the virus that continues to surprise us. It's very hard to predict. Uh, but he talks about how um, we know that uh, when people mask and social distance, and the quicker we vaccinate, the quicker it goes away and the less it spreads. No, she just showed him that that's not true. She just gave him an illustration because these numbers are pre-vaccine. And they are certainly pre-anything uh, that he said about variations. The numbers in California are not substantially different than the numbers of Florida in Florida, which is not locked down. Yeah, so uh, there is no answer but they make it sound like there's an answer. They're masters at that, just like Fauci. Well, you know, I think we'll be we'll be back to well, we might be close to, but it depends on what normal is because we're not sure. Because blah, blah, blah. the idea is to keep us locked down, you know, as long as it's necessary to control us, because so many things are being rolled out that are nightmares. It's not just the energy. Uh, this week we have coming up right away is the stimulus bill by the Democrats. They are you know waving the carrot of. $1,400 for American citizens who've been suffering, losing their jobs, their businesses. So you're going to get $1,400. That'll last you, well, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. We could, like, open the country up and let jobs flourish and let businesses get back to work. But no, uh, we're going to write them a paycheck of $1,400, and, and they'll be happy. But in the midst of this bill, there are so many nightmare things. Uh, and I, I, you know, I, I, we've talked about a little bit of, of of it. We talked about, I'll just try to pick out a couple of things here. Uh, abortion gets $50 million. Um, the airline industry is going to get $15 billion more where you can fly on a plane and, and, and experience totalitarian government at its best. Why they shout at you and uh, bark at you if the mask falls before you're beneath your nose, they're going to get paid uh, to continue that. Isn't that wonderful? That's just a lovely thought. So, and then this week, um, the other thing, well, there's HR1. Oh, there's that. That's the bill that's going to uh, make uh, Democrats a permanent one party structure in the country. Will codify uh, by law all of the ridiculous chicanery that took place in the 2020 election. And that's coming up this week, too. And Biden can't wait to sign that one. And uh, the Equality Act. Also, they're planning on bringing that up this week, and that's the bill that will, uh, you know, re- erase differences between the sexes. This is the bill that will force, um, if it goes, you know, we'll see what the last final written copy is like, but I don't think in a, for a minute there will be any protections for churches, schools, religious organizations. Uh, they will be forced to hire, and this is my speculation, because why wouldn't I speculate it? Do you think there are any Democrats who care a whit about this? And do you think they're worried about having Republican votes to pass it? No, they are not, uh, because they're figuring out a way to pass all this stuff by 51 votes. Kamala Harris will be the, um, you know, the deciding, the decider. 
And so the Equality Act will force pronoun, proper pronoun, you know, like what, cisgender, I I don't even know what those, uh, we can't, you know, call each other husband and wife. It's all of that. It's all of that codified in law for this country, and that's going to come up. But, you know, don't you, that we got rid of President Trump's really horrible tweets. That was so embarrassing, wasn't it? That was really embarrassing, and his harsh words, that was really bad. This is much better, right? This is just much, much better. So um, that's what's happening. Now I want to talk about something else. We are uh, getting ready to air an interview I did with Andy. No, Andy is uh, infiltrated Antifa, and it is a fascinating interview, and I'm not sure what day we're going to run it yet, but I'll tell you about it. But, it's of course, Antifa is close on my mind because of that. And there are um, lawmakers in Montana who are now introducing or discussing introducing a bill that would classify Antifa as a domestic terror organization. Uh, They want to keep them out of Montana, and so they're doing their best to do that. Chris Ray, of course, the director of the FBI, has told us, now look, Antifa is more of an ideology. It's not a group. He said that in the lead-up to the capital problem, and the lead up to, you know, uh, well, in the midst of what was happening in Seattle and Portland and Minnesota, it's not, no, it's an, it's an ideology. It's those white, uh, you know, homegrown extremists. Those are the ones we must be concerned about. So I want to read to you, um, actually, I should pause just for a second. This is Danny Deutsch. I believe he's on MSNBC. And uh, he's, you know, like giving his observation about what happened on January the 6th and, uh, also loops it into the military. You have to hear this. Let's listen. Hey, Nicole, it's a question of moving on from the other guy, but not moving on from the problem that the other guy stood for, magnified, illuminated, uh, and certainly exacerbated. You know, ABC News, Washington Post uh, poll from 2017, a couple years back, one in 10 Americans think it's okay to have white supremacist or neo-Nazi values, points of view. So they're accept- the word was acceptable to them. And 17% of Trump supporters, almost one in five Trump supporters said it's acceptable to have neo-Nazi white supremacist views. I mean, just let that sink in for a minute. And we cannot in any way, shape, form move on because this problem you're talking about now, if you put the numbers to it, 25, 30 million Americans are kind of in this camp that necessarily weren't storming the, the, the capital themselves, but there was a piece of them that was there with them or they would not share those views. So, you know, we cannot move on from this. This is the, the number one terror threat to our country. Now it is not, but no longer, it is not threats from overseas. It is domestic terror. That is what HSS has, has said. Uh, this, this very division that was set up to fight terrorism from around the world now, it's set up, it's number one priority is terrorism within. So we cannot move on. And you know, if I go, if you go back to what I just said about one in 10 Americans, well, that's one in 10 policemen, that's one in 10 uh, people in armed forces. You know, the, the, these groups that are meant to protect us are certainly not in any, any way uh, absent from being represented of this problem. So uh, no, we cannot move on from the other problem, the other guy, whatever you want to call it. Thank you, Donnie Deutsch. Okay, that was uh, a complete um, uh, nonsense. That's the nicest word I can think of. Uh, One in ten Americans, according to the ABC, what Ipsos, I think he said, poll, uh, embrace white supremacy and neo-Nazi, you know, teaching. Really? I guess I would agree with Dr. Fauci. I guess it depends on what is, is. What were the questions? Really? One in 10 Americans wants to kill Jews and put them in concentration camps. One in 10 Americans wants to, like, uh, beat and whip and enslave black Americans. 
So therefore, one in 10 American people in the military and the police, you can't trust any of them, you know, they're, uh, and 17% of Trump supporters? Really? You know, that, I remember Mike Waller told us that at the head of that uh, entourage that was uh, not, uh, not, did not belong to the Trump supporters in the main area where Trump was speaking on January 6th, they led with a uh, Confederate flag. And Mike said, because he's an expert in these kinds of things, and I'm, I guess I'm kind of an expert in a different way, this is what they do. They plant these things to paint the crowd in the worst possible way. I'm not saying there's not a person waving in a Confederate flag that doesn't support Donald Trump. I'm just telling you this is exaggerated and skewed and dangerous, dangerous. And one last thing, Jack Posebiak um, tweeted this. He's a national security guy. This is fascinating. He said, are we just not going to talk about the fact that a boogaloo anarchist, they call it the boogaloo people, anarchist claimed multiple groups under his command helped storm the Capitol, even though they opposed Trump? And now I'm going to try to read you this very tiny print because this is from Reuters, and this is what it says. A Dunn, who lives in Virginia, said three or four groups of loyalists under his command helped Storm the Capitol this week amid a motley mix of rioters who supported President Donald Trump's attempts to overturn the results of the November presidential election. While most boogaloos are libertarians who largely oppose Trump, Dunn said the group embraced the moment to strike against the government. The mob swarmed the home of U.S. House of Representatives and Senate, succeeding in temporarily interrupting a formal vote to confirm Democratic President-elect Joe Biden's victory. Dunn's hopes is that the incident, which resulted in five deaths, will trigger more actions in the months ahead. He said this group would seek to advise, advance its own agenda by participating at protests and other events with those angry over Trump's loss, even though they believe other things. Dunn said Boogaloos will be working overtime to advance their cause. When asked whether Boogaloos had planned to attack the Capitol, he responded, just no, there's more to come. Okay, so, but that, we can't, that's in Reuters, but the FBI director, you know, there's no nothing to see. It's just this white, homegrown extremist. This is dangerous, and I just want you to know, this is Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.